Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Exodus chapter 1. Today we begin a journey with Moses. It'll take us far into the fall. I had a Facebook memory yesterday that said that last year it was, I think, 93 degrees. And I had gone to Starbucks and got a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> PSL comes back this week, beloved, so rejoice. Fall is coming. Fall is coming. Exodus 1, would you pray with me? Freedom is continuously calling. And Lord, for far too often in our lives, we are deaf to it. And so, Lord, we pray today that by your Spirit, we would be called to the freedom of new places with you. New understandings, new walks, new purpose. That again, the old, old story would be new in our hearts that Jesus saves. Jesus saves not only our souls, but He saves us from the miseries of lies and fears and ignorance. Bless me, Lord, with the words that are needed for those who have gathered to hear from you today. As we make our prayer now, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at the people that we keep out. 
the overlooked and the thrown away of this world. As we heard Isaiah's call to the eunuchs and the foreigners, and we heard that it is God's plan to welcome them into the kingdom of God as full beneficiaries of God's grace. Our ability, maybe I should say that a different way, our eagerness to run with this calling, though, is often impeded by a multitude of things, the chief of which I think is ignorance. Far too often I hear folks say, and more frequently I should note than I care to admit, I hear fly out of my mouth the following sentiment. I don't understand fill in the blank. I don't understand why this group thinks the way they do. I don't understand why these people act the way they do. I don't understand this idea. I don't understand this concept that seems to be so prevalent in the public discourse of our day. I don't understand any number of things. And we say it again and again and again. Rarely, though, do we do anything about our ignorance. We do not seek out folks who may have that understanding. We do not seek out folks who may be part of that group identity. We do not seek out folks who may hold to that concept which is so prevalent that we do not understand. We don't seek to attain any sort of understanding with them or it, and we certainly do not seek to find any common ground which we can work from. We willfully choose ignorance at the expense of being better enabled to live out the mission God has placed on our lives and accordingly find a fresh expressions of God's abundant grace. We are not alone, though. This willful choice occurs repeatedly in our world. It has occurred again and again throughout our past, and it is present in abundance currently. And when it does, it is a bountiful but woeful harvest that is generally reaped. A perfect example of which is found in our text this morning. Verse 8 of Exodus 1 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. There arose a new king who did not know Joseph, which means he had no clue about who Joseph was. He had no clue about who Joseph's people were. He had no clue about what Joseph had done. He had no understanding about the fact that if it wasn't for Joseph, Egypt would have been toast in the famine. He didn't have any clue. He just saw this group of people and he didn't know where they come from, but he knew that they were not Egyptians. 
So he just stayed ignorant. He didn't seek to learn the history of how they got there. He sought no wisdom about the context of why the present existed. He simply says, I don't care. I don't care. I will choose to live my life in ignorance and disregard any and all fruit that my ignorant seed that I am planting will bear. And that seed will lead to a bountiful harvest. It will lead to a harvest of lies. Verse number 9 says, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Now, beloved, for just a moment, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that and understand that this is Egypt. This is Egypt. This is the only superpower in the world. These are the big boys on the block. And, mo and yet Pharaoh is saying that a group of shepherds, and that's what they are. We know that from our earlier study this year in the life of Joseph. Are going to be too mighty and too powerful. They're going to be too strong to th overthrow this world superpower. Now you might be saying, but Mark, they could have. They could have. And later on, they will. Well, beloved, let me put it to you in a couple of easy terms for you here. Number one, I could be skinny, but I'm not. All right? They could have. Number two, they will later on. Yes, but how will they later on? Will they do it in their own power? Does Exodus say they did it in their own power? No, no. The hand of God entered in ten different situations and it was the hand of God that freed the children of Israel from Egypt's bondage. So we can say all day long, well, Pharaoh might have been right. Let's just, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. When, beloved, what is really going on here is that Pharaoh is lying. Lies by their very nature obscure reality and easily turn the mundane into the grotesque. When lies are repeated... And particularly when lies are repeated from ignorance, our ability to navigate them becomes different and difficult. The other suddenly loses the ability to be seen in the image of God. They suddenly become the other, and because they are the other, we can treat them as something less than human. I watched this week a wonderful documentary. I commend it to you called Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland. And it talks about the troubles in Northern Ireland and the fight between Protestants and Catholics, the fight between loyalists and Republicans. 
And the story is told about a nightclub in Belfast where it was just a peaceful spot. And kids in the 80s would come and party there and meet people. And they, when they walked in, they didn't have tattoos on their forehead that said Protestant or Catholic. They were just people. And the story goes on that this, this rocker meets this woman and he said, you know, I fell in love with her. We dated forever. And then when we decided to get married was when I found out she was Protestant. She wasn't the other anymore. Why? Because he didn't believe the lies that everybody was saying. By the way, they're still married. I don't know what they are. I don't know what church they go to, but they're still married. Beloved, we can't believe the lies that we're told so that others, the outcasts of the world, become the others. We must be vigilant about discerning truth from lies today. And we must always ask ourselves the question, are we allowing the lies that we hear, once we hear them, to flavor how we see people who look and think and act differently than we do to the point that it impedes how we extend a hand of grace and mercy to them? Because if it is impeding what we're doing, we too are like Pharaoh in the text. And we're also harvesting a harvest of fear. Verse 10 says, Come let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. If you see folks, beloved as something that they aren't, you can fear them really easily and unnecessarily so. And if you fear them, then what is it? It's very hard to love them, right? Because if you love them, it's going to drive out your fear. Because what does the Bible say? Perfect love drives out all fear. But if we aren't discerning of lies and we allow the fears to be stoked more and more than we allow love to prevail in our lives, it becomes intensely difficult to obey the command of Jesus. You know the command of Jesus? The greatest one, you know, the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Beloved, when you fear your neighbor, it's hard to love them. I wouldn't even say it's hard to love them. It's impossible to love them. And so we must ask ourselves the question, where is fear defeating love today in our lives? Where is fear reigning in your life that is keeping you from loving someone who's not like you? And more importantly, what is stoking your fear? Or who is stoking your fear? You know, I've, I've read Exodus many times, and, and something jumped out at me. Even after I had figured out everything I was going to say, Dad was going back through it. And, and, and 
a line just jumped out at me. I'm going to read you verse 10 again. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Now, did you notice what's missing here? He's afraid. He's afraid that war might happen and all these Israelites are going to turn against him. But he's not afraid, it says here, what? He's not afraid that they're going to conquer them. He's not afraid that they're going to take all their stuff. He's not afraid that they're going to subjugate the Egyptians to slavery. He's not afraid of any of the things that I would be afraid of. He's afraid of what? That they're going to leave. In other words, Pharaoh is is saying the silent part out loud. I'm making money off of these people. I have power because of these people, and if they leave, I lose that. In other words, beloved, I don't want to suffer. And so there is an ulterior motive to his ignorance. It's actually found in a lot of wisdom. So there's an ulterior motive to his fear. There's an ulterior motive to his lying. Beloved, there's a lot of people in positions of influence and power in our society today who unnecessarily stoke fear in us for less than pure motives. And we should be vigilant of their schemes and call them for what they are instead of fueling them by falling prey to them. And you say, what do you mean, Mark? Well, this occurred to me the other day watching the news. You know, when I was a kid, and Scarlett told me just this morning, that was a very long time ago, we actually had cable, all right? We, but we still had three channels that we predominantly watched, you know. But, you know, we watched ABC, NBC, and CBS. And if in the middle of, say, days of our lives, because this is actually my first memory, I was at my grandmother's and day, we're, she was watching days of our lives, and, and what happens? There's breaking news And on the TV, they say, a special report from NBC News. Everybody perks up, right? Because they're not going to break into TV for just anything, right? They're certainly not going to break into a bunch of old women's soap operas. And it says, the guy comes on and he says, there are reports that shots were fired at President Reagan this afternoon as he left the Washington Hilton. That was breaking news, right? They wouldn't break in unless a president had been shot, the space shuttle blew up, or California had an earthquake. That was it. Now we got a lot of channels, right? We got a lot of news channels. Have you counted how often they come in was saying breaking news alert when you're watching whatever 24-hour news you watch. Have you kept track of it? 
I did the other day. And it was continuous. And there weren't a president shot, an earthquake happened, or a, a, a space shuttle blow up. In fact, 30 years ago, this would have been something that may be a three-minute segment at the 6.30 news, which, by the way, was when you got news at 6.30. But if they're constantly telling you to, it's breaking news, that means in your mind you think it's something important, right? And the more you hear that breaking news, what happens? You get more and more nervous. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And they gin you up. And what are they really ginning up? Your fear. Why? I was watching the news the other day. Wolf Blitzer says, we've got breaking news, but we'll share it with you when we come back for the, from the commercial. breaking news man I need to hear it now I need to know whether or not I need to seal off the house because we've been nuked somewhere or something why no they got I've got to watch the commercial right because that's how they're going to do what make money so now they got me hooked Pharaoh this isn't new beloved it's right here in the book Pharaoh's doing that right here. He's stoking fear and he's stoking lies. And the more he does it, what does he do? He serves it all up as added fertilizer to reap a bountiful harvest of injustice. Verse 11 says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, you shall, she shall live. Did you catch all those words in there? In verse 12, it says they oppressed them. In verse 13 and verse 14, it says they dealt ruthlessly with them. When you get back to that word in, in its most basic form in the Hebrew, it means to break apart, to fracture. They have dealt with them in such a way that they're trying to break them as people. And that's not working enough. So in verse number 16, they says, Pharaoh says, I don't want to deal with any of them anymore. So if a boy is the one that is born, kill it. Pharaoh, by the way, is not the one working them out there to make mortar and build cities. Pharaoh has perpetrated injustice, excuse me, has perpetrated lies and fear to the point that he's got everyone else following behind. It clearly says here in the text, so the Egyptians... In verse number 13, I mean 12, we're in dread of the people of Israel. Beloved, I speak to you a lot about injustice, but please understand me, just as surely as grace abounds, sadly, 
so does injustice in our world, and that's why I do it. Because God is continuously calling people of faith to address the injustices around them. And too often, we are unknowingly, and I will say sometimes knowingly, perpetrating injustice. And you say, well, how do I know how not to? How do I know not to, how not to? How do I know when, when, when fear or, or lies are, are causing me to do this? Well, Jesus set a marker down for His disciples to test whether, for us to use to test whether or not our actions are perpetrating injustice or whether or not they are furthering the justice and righteousness of God. You and I call it the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, sometimes we mix that up a little bit and we'll say do unto others first before they can do unto you that's generally a bad way or we will refer to it as some golden suggestion well this is this isn't the rule it's the suggestion if it works in this if it works for me okay then I'll let it go but if it's not gonna work for me then if it's gonna cause me any discomfort I'm just gonna let it go at its heart, the golden rule is that we are to treat others equitably at a level playing field because we ourselves, in our understanding of our inherent worth as created in the image of God, would want to do that, want to be treated that way ourselves. And the question is, do we do it? Do we do it? You know, as I thought about this, I thought about various things going on in the world around us, and so I want to pose it to you in these questions. Would you like to open up your tap water, I mean your tap that you get water out of, and it be brown, and you be expected to drink it? Well, that's what the people of Jackson, Mississippi had to do, and have had to do for a while now. Would you want to knowingly drink lead from the water taps? Well, that's what the people of Flint, Michigan have had to do because they still haven't fixed that. How long ago was that? Would you want to send your child to a substandard school where they could not get a sound education? No. But across swaths of rural North Carolina. That is what's happening. If by chance, beloved, you were in prison, how would you want to be treated? I'm not going to go to prison. Play with me for a minute. If you were to go to prison, how would you want to be treated? Would you want to be in, say, a Texas prison? This past July, where it hit over 100 every day, and yet no state prison in Texas has air conditioning. If 
Beloved, not only are we speaking of the present, we should always think forward. We should think forward and say, do I want my grandchildren to live in a world where fill-in-the-blank wasn't corrected when I could do something now to fix it? The harvest of injustice, beloved, is real. And when it is done through lies and fears to empower others at our expense, the question becomes, do we seek to adjust what's going on through the golden rule? Or as I said earlier, we just leave it as the golden suggestion. And thereby leave the outcasts of the world languishing. Understand something though, we can ignore this, but God never ignores it. God never ignores it, and God is always working on it. And so we can either be joining God in His work, or we can be working against God. Pharaoh, it should be noted, reaps these harvests back, verses 17 through 19. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. What does he get back? Lies and ignorance. He reaps it back again. And, and in verse number 20, he gets his fears realized. He reaps that back. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Boy, these shepherds are going to be able to fight, right? His fears are now realized. Beloved, the continuous theme of Scripture is that the mercy of God extends as far as the east is from the west. It is not concentrated just in places where we think it ought to be. It is not concentrated on just those that we think deserve it. But it literally goes to the far as the east is from the west, which means inherently, just by using the geographical distinctions, that it goes to those who are at the far reaches, at the margins, who are an outcast of our society, that God intends for them to receive mercy. The unwanted and the undeserved have an intimate understanding of the presence, the peace, the mercy, the grace of God. And it is for us to ensure that they are always getting it and for us to bring them not from the outskirts, back to Isaiah 56 from last week, but into the house to feel the abundant love of God. So beloved, we can seek to understand those that we don't comprehend this morning or not, we get to choose. But hear me, verses 1 through 10 of chapter number 2 are going to tell us that God will bring them before us. God will make us learn and confront. See, those 10 verses in chapter 2 are going to tell a story of a woman who gets pregnant and has a baby boy. And she puts that baby boy in a wicker basket when it's time and, and she makes it such that she floats it down the river 
And she sends the baby boy sister behind it. And what happens? It winds up at Pharaoh's house. It winds up with Pharaoh's baby girl getting this baby. You say, well, she didn't know it was a Hebrew. No, 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 no. You read verse 6. Verse 6 of chapter number 2 says quite clearly, she knows it's a Hebrew child. And so now she's got to deal with it. Now can you imagine, she names it too, Moses. Brings it into Pharaoh's house. Now can you imagine Pharaoh saying to her, this child she considers to be a son. Can you imagine Pharaoh looking at his baby girl and saying, kill it. No. Can you imagine him looking at his baby girl and saying, I'm not putting up with this. No. When I bought my recliner, I was very picky about it. Man, I sat in every recliner in five counties. And I wanted the recliner bought so that Scarlett could sit on the arm. That's why I bought the recliner the way I did. I bought the recliner so that Scarlett could sit on the arm. And I was thinking about this part of the text, and I, I, my mind went into the future. When I'm sitting in the replacement for this, require, this recliner, and Scout comes home, and she comes in and she, she, we have dinner and all that. And then somewhere after dinner, I'm sitting there in my recliner. And she comes and she sits on the arm of the recliner. Where she has sat for all of these many years. And she puts her arm around her boo. And she says, boo, I've met somebody. You have. I have. Boo, he's from the Charlotte metro area. Strike one. Boo, he's, he's actually born and raised in Charlotte metro, but it's, in the, it's on the South Carolina side. Strike two. Boo, he played basketball at Duke. <laughs> at which point Eliza gets up and goes and gets the nitroglycerin pills. <laughs> and then, and then, and then she says, and Boo, he's got a PhD from North Carolina State. Well, after the rescue squad leaves, Am I going to say to her, no? Because this is my baby girl. I was the first one that held her. I bought this chair just so she could, till the day I die, sit right there in this, on the arm of this chair. And this is not who I have designed. 
Am I going to tell her no? No. So I better start learning about Duke basketball, right? I better be able to sing all the words to the NC State fight song. I better grow to like Charlotte. No, I might have to learn South Carolina too. Today, beloved, will you be like Pharaoh? Will you be like Pharaoh and have wisdom forced upon you by God? Or will you choose the path of Jesus? You see, Jesus, though fully God, was put on flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says. He dwelt among us so that repeatedly we are told throughout the remainder of Scripture after the Gospels that Jesus knows, Jesus understands, Jesus knows what it is like to walk in human flesh. He knows the temptations and the sorrows. He knows all the joys and the disappointments of our life. He knows what it is like to be us. And because of that, He is seated at the right hand of God, ever making intercession for us. Because He knows, He knows what it's like to be us. Because He actually came and understood and lived it. So we can choose to be like Jesus and still get a bound of a harvest. Pharaoh got one harvest, Jesus got another harvest. And Jesus' harvest is a harvest of wisdom and understanding. It's a harvest of grace and above all else, it is a harvest of joy as Jesus still today, because whether or not we wish to remember this, we are outcast as well. And Jesus still celebrates when one of us comes home and he and beloved, we can celebrate as the outcast of this world come home to God and he can, they do so through our seeking wisdom and knowledge an understanding of them and we're not ever like Pharaoh we can never have it said of us and there arose a people who did not know but instead we can say there arose a people who knew the bounty of the Lord's table and who sought pur purposefully and repeatedly to bring people to that table you're going to harvest something today, beloved. What is it going to be? The fruit of ignorance or the fruit of grace? Let's pray. Lord, help us not to be ignorant. Help us never to say those words again. I wish I could understand and then just let it go. But instead, help us to be like Jesus. To know, to learn, to gain, as Eliza said earlier, in wisdom. That we may reach a world better for you. And may know your grace even better as we seek those who we think so undeserving of your grace, and yet those are the ones you died for just as much as you died for us. And that in some circles we are outcast. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021.
Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.